ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. We have a very exciting episode. I know uh, it's been a few weeks, probably close to a month now, since Star Wars The Force Awakens has come out. But we still want to talk about it because it's still in theaters. It's going to be in theaters for a long time. Just about everyone in the world has already seen it. And, you know, I think it felt appropriate to finally sort of discuss it. Uh, Now, because we are talking about the new Star Wars, there are going to be spoilers. We're going to avoid some of the big major ones. But there are going to be talk about the plot and the way the movie works. So if you have not seen it, I'd recommend just holding off on listening to this episode until afterwards. That said, uh, I was not disappointed. What about you? Uh, I was not disappointed either, which I think is already a good sign of where this new series is going to be going. So yeah, when it comes to The Force Awakens, I think that's quite an appropriate title because... Not just the film itself, but the hype around it, you know, it's weird because I'm not hugely into the franchising and the commercialism of a lot of films, but something certainly felt alive when it came to all of these new products and Star Wars related memorabilia that just surfaced everywhere. And for the first time, I didn't feel like I had stuff shoved in my face. I kind of felt what it might have felt like back in the 70s when Star Wars, the first film franchise took over the world, which I didn't quite experience with the prequels because of the overlooming disappointment a lot of people had, but this time around, everybody's in love with Star Wars, and the world's been set ablaze, so it's no wonder that it's breaking records. We were also really young when the prequels came out. That was something I was thinking about, too. We were 10 years old when Episode 1 came out, uh, so we obviously were not around for the originals and all the hype and, and the experience and things like that and for the prequels combining with our our young age and uh the sort of disappointment and punchline it was we we i don't feel that people our age specifically and maybe even people just a touch younger than us would have been able to fully realize what was happening and it was weird when the music started up that famous iconic john williams score I actually felt nostalgic, which is something I didn't think I'd feel because, you know, I I enjoyed the movies. I I liked the originals a lot when I was younger, but like nostalgia, how how can you, it's like it was incepted into me. Did you feel something similar? Well, I might've grown up a little bit more in Star Wars than you did, but I was certainly not somebody who grew up in the seventies, obviously. And um, the prequels were, I guess, as you said, we were so young those kinds of memories weren't ones that we clung on to too strongly, except for maybe Revenge of the Sith. But at that age, I kind of took films for granted. And it didn't leave that big of an imprint on me either. So I think because of how grainy the crawl screen looked and how iconic the music was, it it actually felt like, whoa, okay, here we go. Um, I know you've studied film as well. So did you ever have to watch... Well, you've probably seen classic films in the theater as well, where, you know, if you watch Taxi Driver in the theater, you sit there and you go, wow, okay, I know it's clearly 2016, but I somehow feel like I'm in the 70s for a brief while of my life, and it's it's somewhat enchanting. It feels kind of crazy to feel that way with a new film, where it's like, okay, where am I? What year is this? It doesn't matter. This is fantastic. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and it certainly feels that way. So I certainly felt that way. And I think, I don't know what it was like when you saw it, but I saw it opening weekend, and everybody applauded throughout the film. And the first applause came just from the opening, honestly. I'm not really surprised. I I waited a few weeks just because... Every, it was sold out constantly. I want to, you know, not have to worry too much about being there two hours early just to get a halfway decent spot seat. Um, so I waited a few weeks and I was sort of on um, constant vigilant every time I was on the internet, making sure if I saw anything that started with an S, I scrolled past it, didn't read it, didn't click it, didn't. I tried to do as much as I can. After the the final trailer came out, I sort of went on uh, on a media blackout regarding Star Wars, which I think definitely helped. I, I did have one small thing spoiled about it, but I, I realized what I was reading halfway through and cut myself off, so it wasn't entirely a huge spoiler. Um, 
but yeah, the the crowd was still pretty into it. Uh, there wasn't cheering. Uh, there was a crying baby though, um, which thankfully the parents got the kid to shut up after a little bit. It wasn't too much crying. Um, but yeah, uh, we <clears throat> you briefly mentioned this offline, and uh, I'm I'm a little curious about uh, what your thoughts are on it, about uh, it being a bit of a, a rehashing of a new hope for better or for worse. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people be very bitter about it. I think it's the some of these super fans who see it as as an unoriginal take on the franchise because you know Star Wars has a lot of interconnections with novels, video games, TV shows, and etc. So there are so many different storylines outside of the film series that I feel like maybe these people thought that it was a completely unoriginal idea at a disservice. Um, like, I know there are some questions about this film where people said, oh, why did this happen? Apparently they were answered in comic books or novels. Like, I, I'm not I'm not too sure what, what would be too spoiler-heavy, so I won't mention anything. But yeah, um, I think because of that, people saw this as, again, a disservice, while other people saw this as a great welcoming back to the series, where it's like, this is how the first one felt, this is great for a new generation, and it's a great throwback for fans. Obviously, there's quite a few similarities with, you know, self-realization, you know, the poor, the rebellions struggling against uh, the tyrannical upper echelons. There's obviously going to be a lot of similarities because that's just kind of what Star Wars is always about. You know, like this, no pun intended, this force that looms over everything and it destroys society and the young people who are located in the West and and the, the rubble planets of the universe trying to overthrow this force and fight for their freedoms. It's It's bound to happen again, especially with new characters that, you know, again, have self-discovery journeys. So, again, I thought it was inevitable. If we end up seeing a lot more of a similarity with the next two films, excluding the Rogue series, then we might have a bit of a problem. But I had, I didn't have a problem with this at all. What about you? I didn't really either. I think, you know, I think people that are getting caught up on it are forgetting how much the the originals and the prequels sort of mirror each other as well, at least sort of thematically as far as the, you know, the origin story of heroes. Really, all of, all of Star Wars is is basically Joseph Campbell stories in a nutshell. Like... And what J.J. Abrams did was sort of bring that whole back while still telling a similar story. He made it at least unique enough that it wasn't, you know, beat by beat the exact same. There were some interesting changes uh, of character developments and things like that, especially with the the Han Solo stuff, which we'll uh, talk about in a minute. But um, it didn't really bother me, you know. It also, it still felt new and fresh, even though there was an air of similarity to it. So it's not something that that totally bugged me. Um, as far as actual filmmaking goes, uh, what did you think of J.J. Abrams? I, I was hearing, I was listening to a, a film critic who basically said J.J. Abrams doesn't have an aesthetic himself what his aesthetic is is being able to perfectly mimic someone else's so whether you're looking at something like super eight which was clearly uh, a steven spielberg type movie or mission impossible 3 which was clearly you know uh the style of the first two which was john woo and i forget who the the first uh, de palma was yeah, it? brian de palma you know mimicking their styles and you know here we have the force awakens which is if if you would have said George Lucas directed this, I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. If, you know, in the original timeline, not necessarily with the prequels, the way we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, what, what did you think of J.J. Uh, Abrams' direction? Um, I kind of feel like even when he's mirroring other people, he still has a little bit of a little bit of a signature where you kind of do feel like this is J.J. Abrams channeling somebody else. This is probably the furthest it's ever felt from that. And the most where I felt like, wow, okay, this is an actual Star Wars film. This isn't J.J. Abrams doing Star Wars, but yet it is, you know, with 
with the Star Trek films, I kind of, for me, that was kind of obvious that it was a J.J. Abrams film, but, you know, he still, as you said, he still is great at channeling others and making it seem like these are products of his own, but you can still tell a little bit. With The Force Awakens, it was the furthest I had ever felt from a J.J. Abrams film, except for maybe, you know, like, in-flight sequences where, you know, it's like the massive spaceships in, in the galaxy. Like, those are the only things. Everything else, when they're on the planet, you see, like, the red sunset. You see, like, shots inside of the tents in, like, the rural areas. Shots inside of the actual spacecrafts. Like, they they felt so much like a modern rendition of the 70s films, the 70s and 80s, that it was absolutely magnificent. So, no, he did a terrific job, especially doing more of a service to the originals than trying to be like, hey, I made a Star Wars movie, look what I did, you know? So, no, he did an excellent job with this. I think also the the part of it that really helped was the fact that he had uh, Lawrence Kasdan write the script who is responsible for writing uh possibly the two best star wars films empire strikes back and return of the jedi which you know he he was someone who really helped develop and flesh out the the characters in the original films and he brought that sort of nuance humanity um to this film as well which was which was sort of great to see that it, you know it wasn't just jj abrams writing because i know some people have some issues with with his writing um that he used someone who who not only was so well versed in in the universe, but also was was there to understand the reasoning behind the characters' choices and their motives and all, and all that sort of thing, which was sort of great to see him back for that. Yeah, when you use an original writer like that, perhaps they've had a lot of ideas brewing in their mind where they said, "Man, I wish I could retreat back to this story that I originally worked on. I wish I could." maybe do something more, but you know, Star Wars is over, or oh, it's been taken over by George Lucas entirely. That's kind of the end of it. But then when he gets an opportunity like this, those old cogs start churning again, and it's like, hang on, okay, this was something I had in mind for, you know, maybe Princess Leia, or this is something I had in mind for Luke Skywalker. Okay, okay, but hang on, okay, let's modernize this a little bit. Let's see what characters we're working with now. All right, okay, so let's let's add a little bit of what I had over all of these years. And because of that, you get a really humanistic flash forward with these old characters and their interaction with the younger characters because it feels like a genuine aging process where everything kind of makes sense. You know, and it's not like, well, you know, Han Solo is a bit of a jerk, so he'd be doing this. You know, it, it feels like something that legitimately has aged and has a lot of thought behind it. So, you know, it's great that they they granted, you know, probably one of the better screenwriters for the Star Wars series. In fact, probably the best, actually. Um, this opportunity to come up with these ideas that have probably been battling inside of his head and he didn't have an outlet until now. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's talk about some of the the new characters. You know, we we had Daisy Ridley as Ray, John Boyega as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. They were sort of like the four main additions to the franchise. Um, specifically talking about Ray and Finn, I thought they were absolutely perfectly cast their performances were spot on. Their chemistry was great. It was they were whimsical, but not you know too like nauseatingly cute uh but they both had uh, an air of toughness with with some great layers to them as well uh i i i've i'm a fan of john boyega i like the movie attack the block i thought he was great yep. in that and i thought this was you know a real a real departure from that character that he played so it's great to see what range he has uh especially with an american accent that he had um the two of them were absolutely fantastic together um I thought Ray was sort of the perfect embodiment of uh, the new Luke Skywalker, as far as you know. There, are our vessel into this world, as far as telling us the story. We we learn things as as they learn things. Yeah, it's great that you mentioned Attack the Block because when that movie came out, there were two reactions. Oh my god, this is hilarious and awesome! And 
who is this guy? When can we see him next? And unfortunately, we didn't see John Boyega for years, and he was absolutely lauded for his performance because he was a great balance of badass, hilarious, serious. He had a lot of dramatic weight on his shoulders when no other characters really had that. And he was the he was the great anchor of that film, and he he helped it position every little emotion it was trying to channel. So when I finally heard he was back in the swing of things and in Star Wars, I was completely floored. I said, yes, you know, this is this is perfect. I, I think this guy's going to do a great job. And he went even better than I expected. Now, Daisy Ridley, from what I've heard, apparently when she was first shooting, J.J. Abrams would kind of be like, you know, I apologize, but that was wooden. And apparently, Daisy Ridley was was in tears because you know how could she screw up Star Wars? You know, this was her big chance. This is the first major thing she'll do, and she she would be set for life as an actress. And you know, now everything's screwed up. But you look at the way she turned things around, and you see her now. Terrific, terrific, terrific performance. I think she is exactly as you said, exactly typecasted perfectly, and she is exactly what this franchise needed you know like a strong female young character that could identify with a lot of the young viewers that are watching it it makes perfect sense when she starts to realize her own capabilities you know she brings up the whole um being from an unknown area kind of aspect perfectly well she's an unknown face we can't trust her as an audience entirely because we don't know this actress and her capabilities yet but I think she knocked it out of the park, both her and Boyega. And actually, the entire fit to him in his youth, and he ran away from it for so long. So I, I felt like he directed that kind of energy within the film very well. Yeah, which was great. Um, well, let's take a short break. I think we said, you know, we went on very long about The Force Awakens, and hopefully everyone has seen it by now. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have a fun uh, little uh, discussion about some more Star Wars stuff. All right, so we talked about The Force Awakens. Now, let's sort of go in a bit of a different direction. You know, when you think about the original movies, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, everyone gets all rosy-eyed and nostalgic and goes, wow, those movies were fantastic. And then you mentioned the prequels, um, Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Everyone goes, oh, it's terrible. I don't... Don't bring that up. Those movies don't exist to me. Ugh. Hayden Christensen's the worst. <laughs> but, you know, I, I thought it would be a good idea for us to rewatch all six of them. Were the originals as good as you were remembered? And were the prequels as bad as you remembered? I think that's sort of our, our thesis idea here. Um, let's let's go with the originals first. Um, we watch them. Were they as great as not only you, but as the general public remembers it to be? Are they the perfect science fiction, space western stories? I think to an extent, a lot of the acclaim comes from this love of the franchise that was created. You know, back when it first came out, it's it's one of those films that's featured on a lot of best of lists because of its importance. Like, you know, if you look at something like The Wizard of Oz, which a lot of people consider a classic, it's quite faulty in nature, but a lot of people cling on to it because of how groundbreaking it essentially was. Star Wars is kind of the same deal, where a lot of it comes from how much it pushed what cinema could actually be. You know, the special effects were incredible for their time. This world that was created through all of the toys and the memorabilia, it was outside of the film, so people could live this crazy experience outside of the film. So if you were to take that and look at it now, you know, the unedited George Lucas versions where, you know, Greedo doesn't strike first, you know, thankfully. If you look at the original, original takes and you sit down and you watch them, I still think they're pretty damn good. Now, I feel like a lot of the magic comes from 
this sort of essence that a lot of films, or not a lot, not a lot of films have, like, you could probably attest to this, where you watch a ton of movies, and you'll think, wow, those are great, or wow, those are bad. But very few feel like, this is movie magic. This is, this is what cinema is. This is what made me want to watch movies when I was growing up. And you could definitely see a lot of that in the original Star Wars trilogy, where it just has this big rush to it, where half the time you're forgetting you're watching a film because you're busy thinking, wow, how, how did this world get created? And it suddenly you stop thinking about the worlds being created because you've just accepted the fact that they're real. So these are true staples of cinema hugely affecting its audience. And while I still think they are quite faulty, which I guess we'll get into in a second, do you feel kind of the same way? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying as far as it, you know, this is why people make and watch movies is because of the this the capability to transport you to a different world sometimes figuratively sometimes literally like in star wars uh and they and lucas did a great job with that um all that said though you know i i think we'd be remiss to not talk about some faults uh the first film a new hope specifically the characters are are very are very two dimensional. That's something that doesn't really get corrected until The Empire Strikes Back, because Lucas wrote A New Hope on his own, and then in the second and third, he had Lawrence Kasdan come in and uh, and basically revamp the whole story and add some real depth to the characters. So for the the first movie, the the characters are pretty two dimensional and. You know, you can sort of see right through them. There, There's no subtext. There's no hidden layers. There's nothing new to discover. What you see is what you get. And that's not something that people associate with for great filmmaking or great storytelling. Um, another thing that I kind of have an issue with is this idea of George Lucas's naivety as far as good versus evil, you know, on the surface that makes a, a great, you know, short story, you know, this is good. Be these people are good because they're good. These people are bad because they're bad. But when you're telling um, a trilogy of, of stories, um, you start to realize that the empire, the evil empire they're not explained why they're bad. You know, there's some vague reasoning about um, overruling the Senate and and stuff like that. And then in the prequels, they, they go into it a bit more, which I'll talk about later. But um, you, you just are supposed to go along with these guys are the bad because they're bad. The dark side is is bad because it's the dark side. There's no real reasoning behind it. And then as soon as you sort of stop to think about it, a lot of the movies sort of fall apart. Um, and it's something that's hard to reconcile with. Why, why is the dark side so bad? What did they do? What, how do they have millions of people following them in, in tons of planets that all have warships and fighters and guns and things like that? How come they're all just, you know, agreed to follow the evil empire, the galactic senate and all this sort of stuff? That's something that's, that's really hard to reconcile with. Yeah, I, I know weirder things have happened in real life, like things that just happen for a reason. But when it comes to storytelling, if you were to take that kind of information as lightly, you could basically throw in any Dos Ex Machina and it would work, you know? Like, which I, I feel like there's no Dos Ex Machina because there's nothing that concludes the film on a very weird note. But, you know, like Star Wars also gets away with a lot of things that you just kind of have to accept where it's like, the Force can do this. You just have to accept it. That, so they're going to go through this tight situation because Alec Guinness's character does this, and suddenly it's okay. You know, it, uh, There's a lot of stuff that you kind of just have to accept because it's their universe, whereas you know, you look at something like Lord of the Rings, um, not The Hobbit per se, because that's just a whole other story, but um, literally and... Uh, anyways... Lord of the Rings had a lot of stuff like that as well, but it had a lot of answers to it as well. Like all of this magic stuff that the that the Elvish clans had had a lot of backstory to it. It wasn't just magic because they could. Whereas people with the Force in the original Star Wars, especially in New Hope, kind of just got away with a lot of stuff because they could. And it's as you said, the same black and white kind of mentality that 
you know, you don't notice on the first watch, but if you dig deeply into it, you kind of say, okay, um, that that's kind of weird. You know, and, and it's kind of almost borderline unacceptable. Like, oh, we need to get past these people. Let's just say, you know, you can't look at us that way. And then suddenly you can get past them. You know, it's, it's something that gets explored a bit better later on. As you said, you know, George Lucas wasn't the sole writer and he didn't even direct the other two in the, in the original series. So a lot of it was out of his control. A lot of people did a lot of fine tuning, but in, in a new hope, you just see a lot of stuff where it's just, as you said, they're bad because they're bad. He could do this because he's got magic. You know, it's a lot of stuff that's just kind of surface level. Yeah. I think that's something that like, it definitely sort of taints my, my prestige idea of um of the original trilogy now it's 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 like i said it's tough to reconcile with uh that said you know there the magic was there um the the, the filmmaking was, was top notch um the fact that i i'm always going to be for practical effects and and things like that uh and and it worked so well that his something that you cannot fault george lucas for is world building and and he does that better than just about anyone else um when when he creates an idea of what's going on uh what what the planets how do they separate what are these languages who are these aliens who who is all this he's great at coming up with these ideas i think a lot of it needed to be you know run through you know someone else how someone will get cre- credit for being uh the creator of the characters but then there's an actual scriptwriter i i kind of wish that even a new hope you know was just created by george lucas but written by either kasdan or someone else um, um, because stuff like that would have been that much better. And I think I think all of the movies, the prequels, the original, and now the sequels are are, are based so much on a new hope that it's 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 really hard to get out from that shadow that the templates are there and it's sort of stuck in stone. Yeah, I mean there there was this thing where it was either Emperor Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. I don't remember which, but one of them was supposed to be directed by David Lynch. And you know, you know, it's something when you say, "Oh, I would have loved to have, to have seen how he did that." You know, if you look at something like again, Back to the Lord of the Rings, and you go, "No, it had to be Peter Jackson. You couldn't have switched it up. He had this vision." I think you've hit the nail on the head. Star Wars was something that George Lucas had this huge imagination for and he creates such worlds but i think there was a bit of a difficulty to make it all make sense in a very practical way and i think a lot of that suffered again with how black and white it is you know because it's this huge world which suddenly just ends up being because oh we're the good guys we can do whatever we want so um it's it's brilliant how many genres it actually combines it's not strictly straight up a science fiction movie it's a western it's a samurai film that takes upon kurosawa films it's a political thriller there's so many aspects of it but then a lot of it just kind of gets not anchored down but pinned down with like safety pins into into the fabric very hastily because you know it's it's good and evil it's it's magic it's it's this and that. If he had somebody that, you know, if he were a journalist and he had like an editor to bring all of these ideas or like, you know, somebody who could adapt his novel and, and help fix it up a little bit so it, it makes more coherent sense. If he had somebody like that from the beginning, I mean, look at how big a new hope is now. It could have been a thousand times bigger, you know, because it wouldn't be people like us picking it apart, which we find Harder to do with The Empire Strikes Back. I think you'd agree with that, right? Uh, yes. The Empire Strikes Back is is both story-wise uh, and even um, film-wise the best one out of all of them. Uh, I think, you know, The Force Awakens is right up there with it, but I, I still think Empire Strikes Back is probably the best overall film in the whole series, the whole franchise. Absolutely. I think... Um a lot of people remember most of the of the Star Wars series from the from the Empire Strikes Back. You know, you have um, the big twist of uh, Darth Vader as identity, which I will save the spoiler for virtually the one bacteria on Earth that doesn't know who he is. You know, and 
you have like Luke's training uh, when he's in the bogs and everything. Like you have so many things in the Empire Strikes Back that are iconic in Star Wars that are absolutely like the strongest points of basically all of the series for the most part. And it's probably up there with one of the best sequels of all time, I would say. Well, back when it was basically considered a sequel, because now it's kind of like this own entity of the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and now the sequels, you know. But back when it was just the second film after what was just called Star Wars, not A New Hope back then, um, it, it's up there with one of the best sequels of all time, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, on the flip side, let's talk about the prequels. Were they as bad as we remembered? Um, I, I went in very hesitant to watching them, and I found myself actually sort of enjoying them. You know, there, there's a lot to dislike, but, you know, I'm going to start out with some positive stuff. I talked about his world building, Lucas's world building, and this has expanded to such great lengths. While the originals were sort of hindered by the, the technology at the time, Lucas was able to create literally anything he wanted, and there are some pretty weird things that he created in the prequels as far as uh, new worlds, new environments, new aliens, new creatures, and all these sort of things. Um, and, and was absolutely able to go above and beyond what was sort of expected um, as far as being able to expand the story and, and get so much more into it. Um, did you find any positives in the prequels? Truth be told... I see where a lot of the, the faults lie because they they are faulty films. However, I think, again, this is a product of the fan base that's been created. You know, there are these people who were expecting the rush that you and I might have gotten from The Force Awakens from these prequel films that, you know, they thought, oh, my God, it's George Lucas doing these. Whereas now, you know, if George Lucas was attached to this film, they would have everybody would have, you know, ran for the hills, you know. so. Back then, it was like George Lucas made the, all of these solely at his own hand. Here we go. This is exactly what we've asked for. And I guess they weren't just disappointed, but they were savagely so. So they just ripped these films apart. But if you really look at them and you strip away the fact that it's Star Wars, the fact that it's had this huge fan base, the fact that it's got all of these products based on it, the only empire that's topping star wars in terms of products being made is kiss you know like if you strip all of this fanaticism away they're certainly far from the worst things i've ever seen you know the phantom menace the worst for sure but there are a few things they can take away from it if you cut down the pod racing segments i thought they would have actually been quite good again if cut down a little bit i think they dragged on for quite too long if you take away some aspects of it, like maybe, I guess everybody would agree here, use a different character for Anakin, both young and older, you know, use a different actor for both of them. I think we could have gotten some of the scale writing, which is the biggest flaw I think you might agree with with all the prequels, is the actual dialogue writing. Um, somebody who could have might have who might have saved them, because you look at somebody like Ewan McGregor, who's by far the best actor in all of the prequels, and he took some really awful lines and actually made them kind of work in a very oddly whimsical way. So, I don't know. Phantom Menace certainly was far from the worst things. Like, what positives did you have from what's considered the worst Star Wars film? Um, I don't know if that was the worst for me. Really? What yeah. do you think is worse? Um, possibly... Possibly Attack of the Clones. It's, okay, I can see that. It's it's a little tough. There's also quite a bit I didn't like about Revenge of the Sith. Uh, I actually didn't mind Jake Lloyd as young Anakin Skywalker. I thought he was perfectly fine and um, airy enough to be this wide-eyed yet somehow intelligent kid. Uh, it was more Hayden Christensen's portrayal, which I think almost all of it boils down to uh, the script and George Lucas's inability to actually be a director. 
George Lucas, by and large, is a producer. He can make things, he can envision things, he can talk about how they're done. But from all accounts, he is a terrible director on set because he would not give actual direction on... um on how the actor should be performing their scenes. If they were giving the wrong uh, read of it, he would just say louder or quieter, which is not direction. That's, you need to talk about uh, emotions and feelings and layers and things like that if you're not getting out of the actors what you need. Uh, so much so that like, Apparently, when uh, in the re-edited originals, when uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi, when you see the ghosts of uh, Yoda, Obi-Wan, and uh, Anakin, they inserted Hayden Christensen there. Hayden Christensen apparently said that he didn't even know what he was being filmed for. So he just was standing there looking awkward and goofy, and it sort of like completely distracts from what that moment is supposed to be, that it's these three ghosts who led Luke on his journey, and you're just like, what the hell is this guy doing here? He looks like a complete goof. Get him off the screen. And that's because of Lucas's direction. Is Hayden Christensen a bad actor? Maybe. I haven't really loved anything else he's really done. But to say that, you know, he ruined Star Wars, you know, makes me feel bad. And I think his career has definitely taken a hit for it. He got the worst beating out of it. Was Natalie Portman great? She was passable. Some moments she wasn't that great. Some moments she was she was not the worst thing on screen. She was actually quite decent. But, you know, she's been able to keep her career. Ewan McGregor had no ill effects. Liam Neeson was able to... People forget that Liam Neeson was even in The Phantom Menace until you rewatch it. Um, and basically any other good actor that was involved has not had their career suffer, except for Hayden Christensen. Now, Hayden Christensen, I have seen him in, in a few other films, and he was far from good. Like, I saw him try to be a characterization of Bob Dylan and Factory Girl, which, first off, was an awful movie, and secondly, was probably the worst rendition of Bob Dylan I've ever seen. Having said that, though, I do agree with you. I feel very sorry for him. I think this was his first huge thing that he was ever a part of. It wasn't the first film he was a part of, but he was. it was the first massive career-setting film, and I think he got hit with a lot of backlash because there was a big big amount of of approval waiting on his shoulders this is the man that turns into the james l jones voiced menacing greatest villain of all time let's see what he does and i think as somebody who has studied acting you would agree with me on this maybe that most bad acting is actually bad directing and it's not necessarily the actor's fault would you agree with that yeah it's it <laughs> It can be either way, you know, for a professional actor of Hayden Christensen's caliber, whether or not you like him or not, he has the ability. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, critique and be like, oh, you know, he uh, he just he he just didn't know any better or things like that. You know, this that wasn't his first role. That wasn't his first acting class. I've been in acting classes where, you know, it's either people's first time or, you know, they're so novice that they don't really understand the concepts of what they're supposed to be going for, of what real bad acting is. They're just saying the lines that, you know, you look at them and you're like, yep, this is this is still this person just saying someone else's words. Um, I, I didn't have that issue with with Hayden Christensen's performance. I think it really was an issue of bad directing mixed with bad dialogue because what he was asked to do, he did do it. He was asked to be brooding and mysterious and conflicted. And, and when he was angry to be really over the top and when, you know, he's fighting with his emotions to be sullen and, and looking displeased and, and very inward um, and sulky. So all those things, you know, I can I can understand why those choices were made. I just think that they were not being harnessed properly. Yeah, um, you were bringing up some of the other actors in the film, like um, Liam Neeson, Ian McGregor, and even Natalie Portman. And, and yes, this wasn't Hayden Christian's first performance, of course, but you look at some of the experience that everybody else had and you could see why they were able to flee from the awful writing. You know, like Natalie Portman was a child actress before this film, you know, lay on the professional Mars attacks and whatever other film she was a part of. Ian McGregor obviously had his big break with train spotting Liam Neeson, no introduction there. 
there were so many so many years of experience amongst all of these actors, you know, um, Samuel L. Jackson as well, that, you know, Hayden Christensen had to basically compete with all of these strengthened actors. And he was basically, he had the tools, he just wasn't guided well enough. And because he might have not had the years of experience that everybody else had, he might have just thought, mm-hmm. hey, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, this should be fine. The director's not giving me enough crap for this. You know, it's kind of like a Dick Van Dyke thing with Mary Poppins when nobody told him his accent was was awful. He went back and said, God, that's what I sounded like? Why did nobody tell me? You know, because if you're not directed, you don't know you're doing any wrong. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, let's, I want to get back on where was it as bad as I remember to some positive things. Uh, I think a real positive was uh, Ian McDermott's uh, portrayal of uh, Senator Palpatine, who eventually becomes the emperor. I thought he was absolutely fantastic and quite possibly the best part of the entire prequel uh trilogy he he was able to do the naive old man act i'm just i'm just a senator please let me i want to help you and he was able to do the menacing evil emperor stuff as well you know drop a register in his voice uh be sinister uh and sort of be manipulative as well i think he he was able to hit all those notes really well and in his scenes with hayden christensen i think definitely were the best that hayden christensen was doing out of all of the movie of both movies that he was in which is really saying something that that mcdermott was able to elevate his performance like that absolutely and to go into a lot of the positives i think a lot of the positives a lot of the positives were either home runs or inklings of what could have been i feel like a lot of the actual story if it if it was anchored by better dialogue and better directing could have actually been quite powerful like a lot of people complained about you know anakin's origins and la-di-da but you look at some of the crooks of what actually happens and if it was executed correctly it could have actually made a very damn good reason why darth vader was darth vader and that big question of why he why everybody was so evil you know why you know you have a man who was stripped apart by, you know, by youth, by family, by what it means to be a parental figure, um, a loved one, you know, somebody with these capabilities being abused. And if they executed it correctly, that would have been terrific. I think somebody, not Lucas, maybe somebody who's going to be working on these new films, because I know J.J. Abrams only doing one of them, should go back and maybe re-edit these against George Lucas's will. <laughs> Jokingly, of course, but I think there's something there that could actually be quite strong. Where um, would you agree with that? Where some of the actual story elements are actually quite surprisingly good. Yeah, I think that goes back to the world building that Lucas knows how to envision things um, and and what he was trying to tell. The story worked. The story was there. Uh, what wasn't there was the execution of it. And I think as great as it was that he was able to build all these great foreign worlds to us, uh, the downside of it was the CGI element where, you know, I was unfortunately forced to watch the the originals the re-edited ones and and not only the the weird greedo stuff but you know seeing Jabba the Hutt in A New Hope being CGI when literally everything else in that is live action and it just does not make any sense because it looks so terrible you know that stands out as being a real crime whereas in the prequels everything is CGI. I felt like I was watching uh, an animated movie. I didn't feel like I was watching a live action movie, which wouldn't be a problem except for the fact that it, when you had live actual actors, you know, when you have a scene of Obi-Wan walking along, talking with uh, an alien and everything else is CGI, you realize how much that stands out. Uh, basically, the whole fire planet scene in Revenge of the Sith, you're just like, this looks so fake. This is like two actors on a green screen, um, fake sword fighting because they obviously don't have lightsabers in their hand. And you're just like, what's going on here? Um and that was a real a real downfall for me is the overabundance of CGI because like unless you're James Cameron, 
CGI ages so quickly and looks so bad that now it's not even a decade out after the last Star Wars prequel and it's already starting to look dated. Yeah, it's not even just that, but if you try and do what we did, and I guess millions of other people have done, I watch them in whatever order, whether it be when they were released, when they're intended to be watched, whatever that that bizarre chronology order is where you watch the two prequels. <clears throat> no, you watch the, the two original films and then you watch the prequels so you don't get spoiled by who Darth Vader is. Again, nobody knows that, right? Whatever it is, there's a big lack of connection because you see Yoda being a great example of special effects back in the original film. You know, like back then, that was probably like a huge breakthrough. Like, oh my God, how do they get this this green this green alien to to act and interact like a real living thing? Then you see something like Attack of the Clones, where he's throwing his lightsaber and doing like gymnastic twirls because he's he's animated, and it's so off putting. It's it's actually befuddling. Like it just it just doesn't make sense. Whereas you look at the force awakens and that is a terrific medium of cgi and and um live action where so much of it just actually felt real you know even lupita nyongo's character which is this this wide-eyed alien with these very peculiar glasses this very wise magical character didn't feel overly out of place because they tried to make it seem as realistic as possible. Clearly, it was still CGI, and you could tell. But it just wasn't like the prequels, where everything just felt obnoxiously fake. And it wasn't even... Even back then, when I first watched them, it was just weird seeing Yoda twirling in the air like he was on a pommel horse. It was just very bizarre and very off-putting, because I don't care if he's much older in the original films. It just doesn't seem natural. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't. Um, and, and to bring it back to the Force Awakens, that that is what made it work so great. Is Abrams really brought it back to that practical effects uh, thing, where like you cannot deny that like watching a movie forty, fifty, sixty years old that uses practical effects has aged better than CGI from the eighties, CGI from the nineties, even stuff from the early two thousands. It just just does not age well. That's why I'm saying like the only caveat is James Cameron where I don't know what sort of black magic he has that the T2 still looks, uh, you know, as good today as it did back when Terminator 2 came out. Um, I, I'll never understand how he managed to pull that off. Whereas, you know, with when you're using too much, it just does not work. It works fine because you're like, okay, I'm watching an animated movie. But then when you throw in some live action stuff and, and you know, the odd live set piece, the actual set building, it just doesn't work because you're just so thrown off because they look so different. Whereas the force awakened, it was pretty seamless as far as what the CGI was, but almost all of it was real. It was real people. It was, it was real actors. It was, it was real sets and all that sort of thing. Uh, and, and it just really adds to the movie. That, that's something you can't, you can't, it's a feeling that you can't replicate with a computer. Um, and I think that's one, that's, that's basically the main reason why a movie like Jurassic Park is still as beloved as it is today, because you can tell that it's real. Yep, absolutely. And even BB-8 and The Force Awakens was real. And that blew my mind because I said, no, this thing can't be real. And the fact that they managed to pull that off, somebody with as wide of an imagination as George Lucas surely, you know, especially as a producer, surely had the capabilities to pull off stuff like that. It's just unfortunate that so much of it was relied on green screens and and a few hours beyond a computer desk, you know, because I feel like, again, if things were executed properly, the prequels wouldn't be as shamed as they are because they don't they don't necessarily deserve it. If you have to rank them, yes, they are the worst, but they're certainly far from the crimes against cinema that people are putting them up against a cross for, you know, as as far as if if they were their own standalone films, as far as a sci fi 
action adventure movie, they are not all that bad. The problem is you're having to constantly compare them to the originals where they set the bar so high that you, you have to look at them with a caveat. You can't just be like, yeah, they're good. You have to say, but in comparison to the originals, they don't stand a chance, you know? So if they are on their own, you know, they'd be easy, six out of tens. But, you know, because you're comparing them to the originals, it automatically bumps them down to like a three or a four out of ten. So it just, it just really, it really hurts what they were trying to do. And they, they went, Lucas went too far over the top with trying to shoehorn as many, you know, winks at the audience as possible. Something like, I don't think Chewbacca needed to be in Revenge of the Sith. There's absolutely no reason for him to be there. They're on a Wookiee planet, great. But to have all these, you know, supposedly great Wookiee warriors, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, this is Chewbacca over here, because, you know, the audience knows who Chewbacca is. Um, It was just bad lip service that it didn't need to be there uh and i and i doubt the idea of having bubba fett a young bubba fett there as well like that didn't the jangle fett stuff didn't bother me as much because i understand that was just the canon for the making the clone wars and all the the stormtroopers and stuff like that but having Boba Fett there to be like, oh, I have to witness seeing Obi-Wan almost kill my father. Oh, poor me. And it's just like, that didn't need to be there. Yeah, it was it was quite a shoehorned in scene because it just felt like, this is the device that makes this happen. You know, it's, I don't know if you've seen the Amazing Spider-Man series, but um, one of the poor things they did was handle the way that Uncle Ben died. You know, they just had him die. And it was kind of the same thing here where this had to happen, so here it is. Like it could have been handled a lot better. Um, but I, I, I think that might be the biggest flaw. Oddly enough, it wasn't because George Lucas wasn't trying to cater to the fans. It was because he was trying to do too much. Like take, for instance, probably the most maligned character in all of film, music, pop culture history, Jar Jar Binks himself. You know, does he suck? Yes, absolutely. But the product of Jar Jar Binks was to cater to the fans, the fans for years who said, I grew up on cute little characters like R2-D2 or Chewbacca or, you know, these these funnier comic comedic relief characters that just brought something new to those who just didn't want all seriousness. And he was a complete disaster, but he wasn't created because George Lucas just wanted to create stuff. He was created for the sole purpose of catering to those people who wanted more of that, you know, the pod racing was catered to people who wanted the thrill of the flight scenes. You know, the action was catered to those who wanted modern takes on the, on the, on the lightsaber fighting. Everything he did was to get fans to appreciate the new ones. And because there was an overabundance of it with not enough patience to flesh out each and every little component, that's why there's just so much of a mess because too much of it was trying to cater to what made the original successful. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. I think well, that, that's a, a pretty good end note. I think then let me pose this question to you. Were the originals as great as you remembered and were the prequels as bad as you remembered or as far as popular culture remembers them? There's a great area for both because I love the originals, but there are definite faults. And as somebody who has studied film, there are faults that I can forgive, but I can't neglect. With the prequels, there are definite faults, but there are great aspects that I definitely can't deny. You know, things that they actually did quite well. It wasn't a complete bust in an Ed Wood kind of fashion of the, as they've so sought out to be made out to be you know so as bad or as good no to both you know what? but I, I don't think i could say that any better i i think i absolutely agree with you as far as thank you go on 
No, I just said thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, you know, the the way history is going to remember them is not going to be like that. And as far as The Force Awakens goes uh, and the future movies, I think they're going to continue to pay more lip service to the original trilogy than the prequels. And so I think it's only going to reinforce the idea behind uh, how great everyone's rose-colored glasses about the original trilogy is. Absolutely. I think the the misservice of the of the prequels and what worked so well with this first sequel, because who knows, the next two of the of the series could easily bomb. Who knows? But um all it is is taking something that everybody loves, or for the most part everybody loves, and just trying to dignify it a little bit and just knowing the appropriate enough uh, the appropriate amount of what's enough. What's enough fan service, what's what's enough originality what is enough that that's all it is and that's why the force awakens maybe has done quite a better job because they just knew what was enough so the the prequels shouldn't be as as shit upon as they are but let's just see where this new trilogy goes luckily jj abrams has, has jumped off board so if the new ones aren't as good as the force awakens he won't be crucified for it so at least he's done a service and he won't be called jar jar abrams as you know a lot of people online said that they would call him if this new film was awful so he's done a service let's see where this goes from here i agree um and now i guess on the last point uh are you looking forward to the other star wars films we've got two more coming out in basically a year we've got uh the, the sort of spin-off story, Rogue One, uh, that will be in theaters, I believe, in November. And then uh, Episode 8 will be coming out in the spring of next year. Um, neither of which he's J.J. Abrams is directing, but are you are you looking forward to those two movies? Yeah, I think they should be kind of separated in the way that the Star Wars universe is separated now. You, you're looking at the, the film installments, the actual episodes. The Rogue series, because I believe there's two that have been scheduled so far. The Rogue series is basically like the Clone Wars TV show, the comic books. It, and it's an extension of the universe. It's to provide something to those who wanted more than just the films because they can't get enough of this universe. So because I'm, I'm not heavily invested in that kind of stuff, it might be something that I will check out, the Rogue series. But I'm definitely looking forward to the to episode eight. Yeah, I, I think I'm actually looking forward more to the Rogue One idea for, for people that don't know. It's going to be about uh, how the beginning of A New Hope is about this the plans to the Death Star were stolen and Princess Leia has them and she has to get them to Obi-Wan. Uh, Rogue One is about those uh, people who steal the plans to the Death Star. And I think the cast looks really fantastic. It's not going to be, you know, heavy on the, the Force stuff. It's just going to be a straight up sort of... A sci-fi western i think more in line with something like what firefly does than um than sort of the mystical world that star wars can become um but as far as you know the next episode episode eight goes it's being directed by ryan johnson a director that i, I really like brick is fantastic looper has its faults but you know it's still really a really solid idea and, and fairly well execute it um so i think both of them are going to be pretty exciting to watch. Absolutely. Now Rogue One's being sold a little bit more to me, so now I'm excited because, well, Firefly, that sounds good. Uh, um, I, can, I can only hope. It's got, like, a, a really great cast. You know, it's got Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, Felicity Jones, Forrest Whitaker, Diego Luna, um, Riz Ahmed, who is in uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, so it's got, like, a really solid cast in it. Well, that's that's the one thing that most of the Star Wars films have had is a, is a great cast. So I'm glad to see that this is still continuing on. So I'm ex now I'm excited. Actually, um, I knew about the cast and everything, but I didn't know it was going to be like a, a a straight up mostly Western approach. Now that's exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Hopefully, we'll be getting the the first trailer for that pretty soon. I imagine. And with J.J. Abrams at the helm, I really like that they, you know, they said we're releasing two trailers and that's all. And they sort of kept some mystery because you know they could have they could have over over advertised it, over talked about it, all these sort of things. But you know, they knew they're like 
it's Star Wars. We don't even, all we have to do is release a poster saying new Star Wars movie come and give us your money now. And people would be, you know, forking over all of their money. So I think they did it the right way. The less is more. And I really hope they sort of continue that trend, especially with how successful The Force Awakens was. I think people appreciate it that there were, there was some mystery to it. It's not like, oh, hey, that big climactic scene was shown in the trailer. Yeah, J.J. Uh, Abrams has always been great with actually promoting his films. We talked about that with Sean Chin over on Capsule with Cloverfield. That's probably the best thing about Cloverfield. But with something like Star Wars, I think it was absolutely necessary. And I'm glad that they were very subtle about it. All right. Uh, so I think that just about does it all. Uh, let us know what you think about the new Star Wars movie or, you know, if you uh, if you really, truly believe that the prequels were the worst thing in the world, please uh, let us have at it. Andreas, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Planet Naboo, where I could be roasted at the stake or on Twitter at Andreas Babs. And you can find me at DGAPA. And uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ContraZoomPod. This is going to be an exciting little few months for us because we've got the Oscars coming out. We just released our um, Oscar nomination reaction podcast. So hopefully by now you've listened to that. And uh, we'll be having our Oscar roundtable where uh, Sean Chin, who uh, hosts the Capsule podcast, will be joining us along with another special guest. And uh, and look for tons of great content coming up on liveandlimbo.com. And all the show notes will be there and we'll, and we'll link to some stuff as well. So thank you so much for listening.